It's not easy being a gun manufacturer in 2018. Remington Firearms recently filed for bankruptcy in Hartford, but the making of guns has been an intricate part of our history. Back in the mid-1800s, one gunmaker went beyond just the making of firearms. He wanted to create a workplace utopia at his factory in Hartford, Connecticut. This is Off the Path from WSHU. I'm Davis Donovan. I uncover hidden stories anywhere from New York to Boston. Samuel Colt was one of history's great tinkerers. His Colt pistol was a technological breakthrough. It was one of the first guns with interchangeable parts. You could repair and replace one part instead of a whole gun. He built his factory along the Connecticut River, right next to what is now Interstate 91. You can't miss it today with its distinctive blue dome. It's shaped like an onion with painted gold stars, like something out of a Disney movie. I pull into the parking lot of the old factory site, which now partially houses condos. The whole area is set to become a national historic park. I meet up with park ranger Bert Barnett. He says the first question from visitors is usually the same. What's up with that dome? The blue dome that's on top of this factory is a reflection of the blue dome at St. Basil's Cathedral in what we now call Red Square. And you might wonder how Samuel Colt came up with that idea. He went to Europe in 1854 to sell his iconic gun. It was already a hit on this side of the Atlantic because he'd convinced the Texas Rangers to use it in the Mexican-American War. He wanted to corner the European market, too. One of the places he visited on that trip was Moscow, the home of St. Basil's Cathedral, topped with that blue dome. Park ranger Bert Barnett says Colt had an eye for style. He traveled with artists and architects and things like that, and he said, I like that, that's distinctive, and I will have that on top of my factory. Colt came back to America to build his factory. He was inspired by the dome, but he didn't like how European factories treated their workers. Men, women, and children toiled in dangerous conditions and lived in unsanitary hovels. They were fined or beaten if the bosses thought they were too lazy on the job. He's seen the degraded state of European labor, and he does not want any of that in his factory town here. He says, I want my guys to be housed better than that. Colt put his workers up in spacious apartments just across the street. If you worked in manufacturing in the 1800s, Bert Barnett says there were few better places to be than Hartford, Connecticut. This was the Silicon Valley of the East Coast. It was a hub of innovation, and there were plenty of high-paying jobs to go around. Colt's workers enjoyed access to classical music, sports, a library full of books, and a common meeting hall. That workers' hall is a place where his guys can go, relax, read, debate, but it's a place where his guys can blow off steam and enrich themselves. Colt even invited an entire German village to pack up and relocate to Hartford. The workers thanked him for their new jobs by forming a polka band. For decades, the Samuel Colt polka band was the toast of Hartford. Yes, they like their beer gardens and whatnot that uh, Colt has provided for them, but the Germans take to the band idea tremendously, and so they would play your trombone, you know, your big, uh, your big drums, your horns, uh, things like that. Not everyone sees Colt as some kind of benevolent benefactor. His critics say he held too much power over his workers. One biographer describes him as an autocrat who ran his factory like a serfdom. For one thing, workers had to shower every day before they left work. And if they didn't, they'd be sent home and lose a day's pay. 
Colt had a particular reason behind that rule. According to Burt Barnett, he was protecting his property. He owned those apartments. His workers didn't. So if you're at the end of your shift and you're smelling a machine oil, you're grubby, you've got a lot of stale brass filings stuck to you over like that, you don't want that guy going back to your apartment in that condition. You want him to be cleaned up and somewhat less odiferous and, you know, glittery. Samuel Colt died of pneumonia at 47, just seven years after he opened his factory. The Hartford Current described his funeral. Thousands of his workers, including those German immigrants, filed past his coffin to pay their respects. They wore black armbands, and the Samuel Colt polka band played a mournful dirge. He was a Hartford hero. This is James Woolsey, another park ranger. Sam Colt had an amazing ability to put all the pieces together, and probably there was a little bit of luck involved in all of it. Colt's wife inherited his factory. When she died, it passed to a holding firm that didn't share Colt's utopian ideals. There were decades of layoffs and strikes, and the Colt Armory closed in the 1990s. There were big plans today for Coltsville. Congress authorized the National Historic Park, although that might not happen for a few years. Some of its former factory floors have been turned into spaces for people to live and work. Woolsey says there are even plans to bring in a makerspace, and that excites him. It means once again, Coltsville could be a place for tinkerers. This is Off the Path from WSHU Public Radio. I'm Davis Donovan, and I go on the road from New York to Boston in search of stories that fascinate me, and I hope they do the same for you.